Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. It's one week until our series PG kicks off and we begin a fall full of great stuff from the series to the warm quest and poverty to the Belize mission trip in November and a bunch of great small groups starting in the coming weeks. Join us next week for an extra special Sunday with some extra fun with an ice cream social and the opportunity to connect to friends through the quest groups fair and ministry fair. If you haven't already invited your friends and neighbors to the PG series, please do so today. One way you can do that is at 1 p.m. today, the video preview you just saw will hit Facebook. If you can like it, comment on it, share it, and when you share it, comment and tag some of your friends, inviting them to join you to be a part of this series. And now we turn our attention to your turn. It's your turn, each and every one of us here, to step into the greater and greater growth and health and joy and not only becoming what Jesus wants us to become, but in making an impact by allowing Jesus to work through each and every one of us. Today I'm so excited you get to hear from Steve Light. Steve is a passionate motivator who loves God. He serves as the Vice President of Cardinal Health. He's heading up the Belize mission trip in November, and Steve is also attending Ashland Seminary just because he felt like God wanted him to get serious about growing and making a greater impact for Christ. He's intelligent, he's funny, he's inspirational, and he's brave. He's one of the few Michigan fans among us. I know he has a tremendous message for you today, so Steve, it's your turn to invite each one of us to take our turn in following all God has for us. Please give Steve a big, warm round of applause. Today, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, from Scripture, a lesson that we have from Paul. Paul unlocks a secret in Philippians 4 about something that we all want in life, and that's the idea of more peace, more joy, more love, and less worry. If anybody here today would like that, say amen. Amen. Thank you. Now you guys are going to help me because the first, I think they were the first uh, service, were a little asleep. So if you hear something you like today, feel free to shout amen. If you like what you hear, say speak it. Whatever moves you, don't be afraid. Let it out. Let the Holy Spirit move through you. You know, I recently heard a story about a gentleman who went to the doctor. He wasn't feeling so well. So he goes in, he sees a doctor, doctor looks at him, checks him over, says, Tom, would you take a second and go in the lobby? I'd like to talk to your wife. And walks the wife, she says, doctor, what's going on? He goes, well, he should be okay. He needs your help. If you would give him some home-cooked meals over the next few weeks and a little loving, he'll be fine. She says, okay. So they're driving home a little bit later, and the husband turns to his wife and says, what did the doctor say? She goes, you're going to pass away, you've only got about three weeks to live. Amen. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) Reality is, is this is a Monday morning for a lot of us. We wake up, we look in the mirror, and it's a fresh week. It's time to live different. It's time to be a stronger Christian. So we want to love more. We want to serve more. We want to have less worry, less anxiety. Today's the day we're going to do it. That's at 7 o'clock. By 8 o'clock... We're 15 minutes late getting the kids to school because they didn't get ready on time. And so we're in the back telling them how to be more responsible and our anxiety and frustration level goes up. And then we go to work and just before lunchtime, the boss pulls us in and says, 
We've got some bad news. We've lost a big sale and it looks like it's because of some poor analysis you did that we asked you to do. And you leave the meeting down wondering if your job's in jeopardy. Later that afternoon, Pastor Ross calls you and says, we've got a wonderful opportunity Saturday. Sharon and the team have been such great prayer warriors at the outreach mission in the streets that they need more people to come pray for non-believers. And you think, I know I should go, but I can't, Pastor Ross, have a commitment because you and your wife have concert tickets that night. And then finally you're driving home that day and you get home and your wife says, Honey, tonight I know it wasn't planned. I know all you want to do is relax, but my best friend's going through a troubled marriage and she needs me tonight. Can you take care of the kids? And you're frustrated because all you wanted to do was relax. The kids are in the background running around and screaming like a crazy tribe. And you sit at the dinner table getting ready to do the bills. You open up that one bill from the IRS and it says, Unfortunately, you didn't pay your taxes right. You owe $10,000. And you don't have that in your account. And so you get in bed that night. And as you get ready to close your eyes, you start to think about how defeated you feel that day. You don't have joy. You don't have peace. You feel tons of worry. And you wonder why. Well, the interesting thing about the journey we're going to go on today is Scripture is clear about a formula that God gives us. And if we will follow that formula, the Holy Spirit will give us the peace and the joy and the reduction in worry that plagues our lives. So, with that, I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. We're going to be reading to start with from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to these words from God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the holy word of God. You join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment in this life here in this temple. We know that you've told us when two or more gather in your name, your spirit is among us. So Lord, I ask right now that through me, I serve you by sharing a word that speaks to the hearts and the minds of all that are here. And Lord, that we know that we have salvation and resurrection and glory, not by our own works, but by one thing, through the love and the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we get started today, I'm going to give you guys some meat to chew on. I'm going to go into Scripture. We're going to unpack this. But I've given you a a little cheat sheet. So if you reach around, you grab it, get your pen out. You're going to like this. It's going to give you an opportunity to really capture what we're talking about today. And also give you a chance to tie back to the Scripture of what we're going to uncover. Now this is called Your Turn to Have More Peace and Joy, Paul's Secret to Having Christian Joy. By the way, I want to let you know, we're going to be grading these at the end, and anybody who doesn't get an 80% or higher is going to have to do fusion with the high school kids in the fall. Okay? You all right? All right. So I'll help you. Got some extra credit. Actually, on some of the tougher ones, you'll see the first letter there. So I'm giving you a little bit, little bit of a cheat sheet. So let's jump right into it. Got a pop quiz. What do these phrases mean? 
Got some German, some Spanish, which I'm going to slaughter, and some Swahili. Kainabanga. Anybody know what Kainabanga means? How about sin preoccupaciones? Everybody will know this one. Hakuna Matata. What's that mean? No worries. Something Disney was trying to teach us. No worries. These things are easy to say. They're much harder to do. Now, we're going to spend some time in Philippians 4. But before we do, I think one of the things that churches often don't do enough for its members is to give the background on who wrote the letter, who wrote the epistle, who wrote the scripture, why did they write it, and who were they writing to. Because I think when you understand that context, you begin to more clearly understand what God is trying to say to each of us. So with that, let's start with who wrote Philippians. Well, Paul is assumed by theologians in the church to have written Philippians. And actually, there's a lot of evidence that really supports that strongly. But also kind of. Sometimes you'll hear non-Christians be critical and say, Paul didn't actually write that letter. Well, that's probably true. But Paul actually did write that letter. What do I mean by that? We have to understand in that time period, it was not unusual for somebody of Paul's background and level to use a scribe, fancy name for a secretary, to pen out his thoughts. Now, this is not unusual for me because in a leadership role at Cardinal, I frequently have members of my team come in and they will make PowerPoints of information I provide them or they'll write documents or they'll go to meetings and they'll express themselves on my behalf. And I'm very comfortable that they're accurately portraying exactly what my message was. And in this case, a scribe did the same thing for Paul. Now, this letter is actually included, and this is quite exciting, in the oldest listing of the New Testament. And it's in what's called the Muratorian Canon from about the second century. And actually, scholars believe that Paul wrote this in one of three places. He either wrote it in Rome, they believe he wrote it in Ephesus, or he wrote it in Caesarea, in Palestine, just west of Jerusalem. Now, the strongest cases can be made, or strong cases can be made for all of these, but probably the strongest all would concur among scholars is it probably was written in Caesarea. And I want you to understand this point, which is critical. We're going to unpack the Philippian church at the time that is really unwinding. It's got problems. And Paul is sitting in prison, sitting in prison under the threat of death. And instead of thinking about his needs and his situation, he is pouring himself out to this church that's thousands of miles away because he's worried about them in love. And actually what's interesting about this is the oldest version of this letter is at the famous Chester Beatty Library in Dublin, and it dates back to around 200 A.D. So the Bible I hold today, 1,800 years later, has got the same writings that came from Paul almost 1,800 years ago. I find that amazing, don't you? So, if we know who wrote Philippians, let's take a look at who were the Philippians. Interesting lot, interesting place. It actually, the city of Philippi was founded in 358 B.C., by Philip II. Now, who Philip II? Well, everybody knows Alexander the Great. That was his father. And then along comes the Roman Empire in about 168 B.C., and they take Philippi from the Persians. And the reason that the Romans wanted this, this land is it had three very important things. It was fertile for agriculture, there was a lot of gold, and it was near the water. And what you may not know is that when Roman legionnaires would serve in the army... After many, many years of battles and service and loyalty to the empire, they would be given citizenship, and then they would be given land in the out-provinces. So this was a lot of Roman soldiers that moved to Philippi to basically become landowners. 
And actually, there's a lot of archaeological evidence that suggests that there was a thriving Jewish community there as well. Now, what's really interesting and why Christianity spread so strongly in Paul's mission across the land of Greece and into Europe is exactly because of this next picture. I thought it'd be helpful for you all to see what's called the Via Ignatia. And it's basically a highway that was created by the Roman Empire that ran from the western coast of Albania all the way over to Istanbul, which would eventually become the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. And so it was very easy to travel. And as you can see from the pictures, that's a picture of a recent snapshot of the Via Ignatia, the ruins of it. It was wide enough that you could have two carts go east and west. So it was a moder- it was an ancient highway. And what's interesting about Philippi is it was actually the first place that a European Christian was converted, Lydia and her family, by Paul. And we know that Paul was evangelizing in the city early on in his mission. And Paul was likely there in the fall of 54 to 55 A.D., and then a second visit about a year and a half later in 55 to 56 A.D. And you can read this account, not in the book of Philippi or Philippians, but you can actually read it in the book of Acts where Luke talks about it. Does that make sense? So we know who the Philippians were. We know who wrote the book of of uh, Philippians. Now let's take a look at why did he write the letter. And this is really important because when Paul wrote it, the church was not in conflict over doctrine issues, over questions of the Trinity or Jesus' divinity or any questions of salvation. No, 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 much worse. They were fighting and broken down and having strife because of selfishness and because of vanity and because of rivalry in the church. They were missing the point and it was breaking Paul's heart. Paul pleaded with them, pleaded with them when he's in prison and near the, the threat of death. He cared about this church doing the right thing. And he actually uses, and we're going to spend some time with Greek words today. And you're going to say, well, Steve, why are you going back to the Greek? It's really important when you read Scripture, particularly New Testament, to understand it was written in Greek. And so what did the author intend or what did they mean? And so in this case, one of the things you find in Philippians is he actually talks about joy and rejoicing over 16 times. And the Greek word for joy is shara. And rejoice is charietta. When you think about what you hear about good coaches, good teachers, they will repeat the same thing over and over until the teams get it, right? And that's what Paul's doing to us as Christians. He's reminding us, be joyful. Rejoice that God is near. God has your back. And he starts off in Philippians 4.1 giving us a command. He says, stay firm in the Lord. And actually the Greek word there is stikete. And it's really important that we understand what he means by this. It's a military term that means a soldier standing at attention and no matter what is going around, no matter what the circumstances, they keep their eye focused on their duty. And so I would contend as Christians that sometimes we forget that we are part of God's warrior army. That we are called to share the gospel and serve the world. And as a result of that, we've got to learn to stikete. To stand firm and not let life in the world knock us off our point. Amen? It reminds me, as I've been to London a few times, I always get a kick out of watching those Buckingham guards stand there. And the little kids come up and blow on them and, ah, and they never move. They honor their duty of what they've been called to do. So Paul's got this church that has got rivalry and jealousy going on. And Paul says, I'm going to unpack for you in Philippians 4 a secret. 
A secret as Christians as to how you can get more peace, more joy, less anxiety, less worry in your life. And so your cheat sheet, your quiz begins. Get ready. Here's your first one. Paul says there's four things that you need to know. Number one, you've got to be firm in your faith. Number two, you've got to be deep in prayer. Number three, you've got to be active in works. And finally, number four, you've got to be content despite the circumstances around you. Not easy to say. Let's unpack it and look at how Paul helps us understand that a little bit better. Step one, don't worry. And as many of you know, the great theologian Bobby McFerrin said, don't worry, be happy. Right, we're done, everybody can go home. The reality is, Paul says, in my secret I've learned, it starts with this, Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So second question, what is worry? Well, worry is the unreasonable anxiety over which we have no control. Stop and think about it. It's illogical that if you can control something, you would worry about it. You would simply go change it and make the impact. So when we worry, we start from a place of having an unreasonable anxiety over something we have no control. But what we have to remember is God is a sovereign king. He has control of everything. And so if you're not sure, I often hear Christians, new Christians say, well, what is the right way to pray? What are the right words to say? People feel so uncomfortable. I would contend that there's two simple answers. Either read the Lord's Prayer, or another way you can approach it is simply follow ACTS, A-C-T-S. Now, what is that? A stands for adoration. It's a fancy word for praise. Lord in heaven, you are the King and the Sovereign Lord, and I thank you for the life you've created. There is no God but you, and you are my Lord. Confession. We're all broken. Paul says we've all fallen short of the glory. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my anger, for my pride, for the way I've treated my wife, the way I've treated my kids, the way I've treated my coworkers. Forgive me for my ambitions and my greed. Father, forgive me through the power of Jesus' blood. Confession. Thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this life. I thank you for my friends, my family, my job, the resources you've given me. I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for just being good. And finally, supplication. It's a fancy word for request. Lord, bless these missionaries. Lord, bless our church. Lord, my father's not feeling well. Heal him, Father. Lord, my best friend doesn't know Jesus. Lord, give an opportunity to have the Spirit reach into their heart and change their life. If you simply follow this Acts right here, you'll start to every day live closer to step one of not worrying because you won't worry about being in control. You'll take everything to God. Amen? Now, the next part is, if we do this, it's a great song by Carrie Underwood called Jesus Take the Wheel. And this is exactly what we're talking about. But it's really important that you follow the scripture. After 4.6, Philippians 4.7 says that the result is we will have peace of God which will guard our hearts and our mind. Now, I want you to understand that this is the only place in the New Testament where the term peace of God is used. Have a little fun tonight. Go home, read through the New Testament, all of it. See if you can find anywhere else peace of God is used. That particular phrase. And the actual Greek word that's used for guard 
is furuset. I haven't taken my Greek class yet. How do you say it? Furu, there you go. Furisai. Furisi. I'm slaughtering that word. Anyway, the Greek word furisi is used for guard. And the idea here is it stands for a military detachment that's protecting something. So what I want you to think about is when you're reading the scripture, God is saying, if you come to me in prayer, if you don't worry about things, if you give me things and you trust in me, I will have your guard. I will be in the front as the Holy Father. You have Jesus on your right. You have the angels of heaven on your left. And you have the Holy Spirit in your rear guard. You will be protected by God. He will take care of you. And this was a powerful image for the Philippians. Why? Because remember, why is he using this word? You have to remember, this city had a bunch of former Roman soldiers in it. And it also had a Roman garrison. So for the Philippians that were living and seeing this every day, this idea of God guarding our minds was a very powerful image. Here's what we need to think about. Is that ultimately, you've got a question to ask. If you have a little bitty God, chances are you've got big problems. But if you've got a big God, you're going to have little problems. I see a lot of heads nodding. You get that, right? Now, we go back to ancient Jewish tradition, and there's a powerful word that they use called shalom. And often when we're around our Jewish friends and we hear that, we think, oh, that just means peace on you. Hope things are good for you. And when you look at it, it means so much more. It's this idea of not an absence of adversity, but an idea of completeness, an idea of wholeness, an idea of things being right with a person and with the community. Zach talked earlier about the idea of reconciliation. That's what God is grieving for every day. He wants the Holy Spirit and us to work together to create a better us and a better community. And that's that idea of shalom. So if we go to the next part, we've got step one. Step one says, okay, start by praying, bringing it to me. Don't worry, but go to God in prayer. Step two is you've got to get to work. Get to work. Put your faith to work. Now, you're thinking, all right, wait a second, Steve, you're in trouble. Because now you're telling me works is about salvation. Nothing close to that. Nothing close to that. Let's go to Scripture. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul told us we are saved by faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. It's really easy. We have one way through salvation, and that is our faith in Jesus Christ. But as Christians, as disciples, I'm going to use a word right now. You are in the temple of God. You all are priests of God. You all are disciples of Jesus Christ. We all have a command to go out and serve the world. Amen? So in that idea, his brother James, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem, and this was the same brother that used to laugh at him in his ministry and say, who are you? You're just my brother. You can't be God's son. He woke up after Jesus came back, and he became one of the most powerful apostles of all and ran the church in Jerusalem, and he died for his faith. So think about that. James, the brother of Jesus who played with him as a child and saw him running around for three years telling everybody to repent and the kingdom was at hand and through Jesus they would have salvation, scuffed it off. And then when Jesus was resurrected and went through Pentecost and was on the face of the earth and James saw his brother and then he left, what did James do? James did not say, it was all a hoax. James said, this is real. This is real. And he went and he led the church to the point he had to give his life for it. 
Don't ask me if I believe in Jesus. Read James in Scripture and see what he was willing to do. And what James says is faith without works is dead. So as Christians, we don't serve because we have to. We serve because we want to. Because we want to be more like Jesus. Now what Paul says in Philippians 4.9 is we're commanded to do what we have learned and what we have received and what we have heard so that the God of peace can be in us. There's a lot in that scripture. Let's unpack it for a second. Paul's not saying, hey, if you're interested in it, do it. And Paul's not saying, well, consider doing it. Paul is saying, you've got to go do this. What is it that we're supposed to do? Well, when we take a look at the word received, what we're going to find is it's a Greek word called peralabete. And what it actually means is received in an indication that you have an obligation to pass on the tradition of your faith. Not just to your kids, not to your family, but to your community. Everybody say obligation. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm obligated. You're obligated. We are obligated. We're obligated as disciples to share the gospel and to serve the world. And if we go back to that last page real quick, there's a really subtle thing that's happening in this back part of the scripture. The God of peace, not the peace of God, will be with you. Let's, Let's think about that. We're not saying that the peace of God will be with you, that a feeling will be with you, that a state of mind will be with you, what this scripture is saying is Paul saying, you pray and you serve others and in that I'm going to dwell in you. Do you think God worries? No, thank you. God does not worry. God isn't anxious. So if your spirit is the spirit of God, why would you worry? Because God can take care of everything. Amen? Okay. So if we go to the next slide. This has been haunting me for months now. My small group on Friday and I have been trying to tackle this. 2 Peter 1.5.7. It's text that is in a different book that's related to what Paul was talking about. And it says, very simply, that you're to complement or supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance or perseverance. Endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly love, and then brotherly love with love. Now, when I used to read this, I would see the scriptures. These were a whole bunch of things I was supposed to do. Go get some knowledge, read the Bible, be really nice to my wife and kids. You know, try to, try to not eat so poorly. I can't get away from the pizza that I love. Have control in your life, and you would eventually be where you wanted to be. But what I've begun to realize is this is a series of steps. It's a series of steps. And it starts with once you get on your knees and you profess the salvation that you have through the grace of Jesus Christ, you inherently want to be a better person. You want to be more Christ-like. That makes sense. Then you pick up what I call the Bible, the basic instruction before leaving earth. And this is the knowledge. There's everything you need is in here. And with that, you begin to realize that you've got to make changes in your life. You've got to have more self-control. And when you do that over time... You start to persevere. You're enduring, you're enduring it. And then when you do that consistently, you're starting to be more like our Lord and Savior. And when you're like our Lord and Savior, you begin to love more. 
And remember, Jesus said, it's easy for even the heathens and the sinners to love their family and friends. The harder thing is to love the people you don't really love. And that's the ultimate love. And that gets us to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's turn to that. Now, oftentimes, they like to read the back half of that at weddings, and it's a beautiful description of love. But for our purposes, we're actually going to read the part that doesn't usually get read. We're going to read the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Love, the superior way. If I speak the languages of men and angels, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but I do not love, I gain nothing. And so when we think about this journey, this is a work plan for us. If we say we want less stress, we want more joy, we want more peace, we have to say God has given us a work plan to work that through. Now, Jesus was really clear on this. Remember this, he's talking to the disciples in in Matthew 22, 37 and 30 through 39. He says, love your Lord God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. But he says there's a second one just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not enough just to tell somebody, I hope things are going well. You've got to both think and act in this doing the work. But here's what's beautiful. A lot of people don't think about this scripture in connection with this. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. And the love that you showed for His name when you served the saints and you continue to serve them. Well, when you see saints in Scripture, does He mean like the saints in the Catholic Church? No. We're all saints. It's a name for believers. It's a name for reborn Christians. And what He's saying here is God in heaven loves when you love on people and when you serve people. And He won't forget you for that. Now, this is not a prosper gospel. God's not an ATM and you go, oh... I served at the soup kitchen. Oh, I did my devotional all week. Oh, you know, I was good to my wife. Give me 500 bucks. That's not how it works. That's not what we're talking about. Shalom, peace in your life, is not about financial prosperity. It's not even sometimes about being physically healthy. It's about having wholeness in your relationships. It's about understanding and wisdom. It's about peace in your life. When those things happen well, good things happen in your life. Okay. So if we go to the next one, what Jesus is really saying is, look, you share the gospel, you serve others, and you show love to people. And if you do, in 419, I will provide for you richly and abundantly. Now again, we're not talking about financial wealth. We're talking about relationships and wisdom and joy and peace in your life, the things that matter. And at the end of the day, we have to unpack two thoughts. One... We've got to show passion towards God and compassion towards people. Passion towards God and compassion towards people. And in that passion, we find that through worship. Now, I'm going to get raw with you guys. I grew up a very cerebral Christian. I grew up in a Baptist church. And by and large, this is how I would praise and worship. 
No emotion. No passion. It's a dead relationship. I knew it up here, but I didn't know it right here. And I struggled with that. And what we've got to do is realize that we're, God wants to have a relationship with us. And no relationship is going to work long term if there's not love and respect and a little bit of passion. Amen, wives? A little bit of romance. Now, we don't have romance with God, but you get my idea. The point here is, is that when we're in worship, let it all out. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you. Show God how much you love Him. And love is actually, in this case, not an emotion. It's a decision. It's the idea between the difference of the Greek word eros, which is a romantic love, and agape, which is a love in action. We're talking about, as Christian disciples, agape, love in action. And so we show compassion to people through service. Through service. Okay. Now, let's go back to Paul for a second. Paul is sitting there in Philippi and in that region, and there was a movement called the Gnostic movement. And essentially, they were philosophers. And they were trying to figure out a secret mystery of life that they could use to become perfect. And they believed that man could figure it all out. It's not that different than the world we live in today called science, where we think that man can figure everything out if we can just get the mathematical formula right. And the reality is mankind needs God. And so when we start to think about our world today, we talk about not being attached to the world. That's what a non-believer would say. That I'm independent, I don't need the government, I don't need anybody, I can figure it out on my own. And their driver is ambition and pride. It's very self-centered. But the reality is a Christian living in this world has to have an attachment. And that attachment is to Jesus Christ. And that attachment means we are independent of the world, but we are solely and fully dependent on God, our Father and Lord. And finally, the driver is not us. It's Jesus. And so... When Paul's talking about this relationship in Philippians, in Philippians 4, 5, he says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Let's talk about what he means at this point. So we're on the journey, right, in the formula. We're firm in our faith. We're deep in our prayer. We're active in our word. And now Paul is saying you need to be gracious. Okay, what does he mean by gracious? Well, it's interesting. He's talking about being meek. Not weak, meek. And meekness is strength and reservation. It means just because I could do it doesn't mean I do it. And let's talk about that. That's a huge idea. Our society is so self-centered and so legalistically focused. What are my rights? You've injured me. You've done something that have offended me. I have a right to be made whole. And what Paul's saying in graciousness is that it's actually the idea of its generous treatment to ensure equity without demanding the letter of the law in which justice does harm to somebody. So just because you have a right, you could hurt somebody in demanding your justice. So you want to show grace. And it's ultimately, I love this, it says making allowances by not demanding one's full rights. Imagine going to court of law, small claims court, and trying to explain this to everybody who wants their day in court. Now let's stop and think about this. This is what the world needs to know. There's only one person that has the right to make this claim of demand of justice. And that's God. Because He's a holy God and we are corrupted people. And I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but I'm speaking the truth. Is that He has a right to demand justice from us. Because we have been broken and we have sinned. And yet He loves us so much. His grace is so deep. 
that He came to this earth and walked among us and got on a cross and died for us in our place. Thank you. He suffered an unimaginable experience for one reason and one reason only. Because He loves you and He loves you and He loves you. He loves all of us. And all He said is, I love you so much, I want to be with you. Will you have a relationship with me? So we have to learn to be content. This is step three. Paul says, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthened me. Okay, so let's think about the journey we've been on. Number one, he says, first of all, I got you. Don't worry. Come to me in prayer. Don't worry about things. I will show up. Step two, get out there and start getting active. Share the gospel. Serve people. Show people love. And number three is no matter what's happening, good or bad, know that God will strengthen you. He will lift you up. He will take care of you. I'm often amazed how many people are struggling. And the first thing I ask them is, have you gone to prayer? Well, no, I haven't done that yet. I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. Then if that doesn't work, I'll go to God. No! Start on your knees. Go to God first. And be amazed at how He shows up. All we've got to realize is go to Isaiah 55, 9. Isaiah lived 600 plus years before Jesus. And he said, God's ways are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And at the end of the day, we can mess things up and we'll mess things up all the time with our grand plans. But God is in control and God's way always produces the right outcome. Now in the Jewish tradition, the idea was that the moral center and the rational thought was actually in the recesses of your heart. That your deepest convictions came from that. And you think about it, we picked that idea up. I know when I was dating my wife and I couldn't get her to go on dates with me, I'm, please, I love you from the bottom of my heart. That was where my deep conviction of love was, right? It's the same thing here, that Paul is saying you have to transform and it has to go to the deep depth of your core that you want to have this walk with Jesus. So if we go to this next slide, this is where it all comes together. Ezekiel the prophet lives roughly 600 years before Jesus walks the earth. And I love this scripture. Let's look at it. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Now you have to know, I've got to give you a little insight. In the Old Testament, did the Holy Spirit indwell people permanently or come upon people? He came upon people. In the New Testament, does the Holy Spirit come upon people or indwell people? Indwell. Okay, you guys are really good. Do you guys all go to Ashland Seminary? I like this. Here's the reality though. This was a really weird thing for Jews to think about. The idea of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, the Holy Spirit's in the temple. The Holy Spirit doesn't roll around with us. So when Ezekiel's saying this, the Jewish leaders were what? Where are you coming from on this? Well, the reality is, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinances. I remember being a Baptist young student and it would always make me feel weird when somebody said, I'm a born again Christian. And I'd be like, that is so weird. <laughs> it's just weird. 
But as I've studied Scripture, I've begun to realize this is exactly what Ezekiel's talking about. We are reborn from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. That the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Okay, fast forward. 600 years later, Jesus is walking the face of the earth. John records this. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a brilliant man of the Word. And Jesus says, well, you've got to be reborn again. He goes, how, how can I be reborn? I can't come out of my mom again. He goes, I can't believe you don't know this. You, he doesn't say this in Scripture, but I know what he's thinking. You don't know Ezekiel. And he says, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then later, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If you are supercharged by God, should you be worried about anything? I want to say it again. If you are supercharged by God, should you worry about anything? Thank you. Come Come on. Thank you. So, now that you know, it's time to go. I want you to take a few seconds and in prayer. I want you to think about this first question. How will you decide to live out Paul's instructions? And do you want more peace and joy in your life, in your work, in your family, in your relationships? So right now, let's just take a few seconds, and each of you, reach out to God and talk a little bit about what's on your heart. Come Holy Spirit, come and speak to minds where people are at, whether it's broken relationships, it's challenges at work, it's challenges with relationships at home. Father, I just ask that you begin to mold and change people, that they would begin to pray more, they would begin to work more and serve more and to love more. And just trust, Father, that your plan is a good one and that you will show up as their guard. So we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. And what I'd like to do is a little corporate prayer right now. So I'm going to say, Father, we humbly ask for, and you're going to say more faith. And then I'm going to say, Father, we humbly ask for, and you're going to say the next one. And I'm going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. We're going to show a little passion for God. Everybody raise your hands up. Reach them out to God. Father, we humbly ask for. 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 Awesome. Amen. If you want to explore this topic more, I've got three resources for you I think you'll find helpful. If you want to understand Paul deeper and what he's talking about, there's a brilliant theologian named Karl Barth. And he wrote a book called Epistle to the Philippians. You can find it on Amazon. The second thing, if you want to start to have a deeper prayer life with God, a deeper walk with God around your fasting and your worship, check out a great book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. It's also on Amazon. I don't get paid by Amazon to say that. And then finally, if you want to know how to have the ultimate conversation with a father who wants to walk and talk to you every day, check out the book by Charles Stanley called Prayer, The Ultimate Conversation. Here's what I want you to know. If you're new to Quest, this is not a club for saints. This is not a country club for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And I'm wrecked as most, more than anybody. And I'm thankful that God has a name. You call him Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha means the one who heals. He's our spiritual and physical doctor. Jesus loves us and he wants to heal us. He wants us to have peace. 
He wants us to have an abundant life of joy and all these opportunities that He puts before us. And I love this picture when I was preparing this. you got this woman with a sword on her knees. And it says, when God's warriors go down on their knees, it's not the end of the battle. It's just the beginning. Amen? So I wouldn't be doing my job today if for those sitting there that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I didn't give you an opportunity to raise your hand and say, I'm all in. I want a life with Christ. I want that peace. I want that joy. I want that salvation. So with heads bowed, I'd like to ask, if you're searching and you've come to that point that you want to reach out and you want to call Jesus Savior, that you just raise your hand with heads bowed and just repeat after me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your Son and his sacrifice and gift of grace. And Lord, right here and right now, I turn my life over to you. I want to love more. I want to serve more. I want to pray more. And when I do, Lord, I know that you're going to provide the peace in me because I am a temple that you are in. And I thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So now allow me to say a blessing as we leave for the day. Father, I ask that your hand be upon all my brothers and sisters here. I ask that you extend their borders, that you protect them from harm, and keep them from making mistakes. Father, let your wisdom and your joy and your peace be upon them and indwell them. Bless their families and give them opportunities to share the gospel so that we can all someday in heaven be in joy living with you. We ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for today. God bless you all. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.